How many, how many would you say this week, God has been good to you? Let me just see your hands. You're, amen. You just recognize God's goodness every day. And we're going to talk about that today in his word. So open your Bibles to the book of Romans. Obviously, we have no way to project anything today because our projectors are all covered up. Uh, we're <laughs> moving them, painting around them. But on version, and, and, and really, if you're not used to version over the next two to three weeks, you really probably want to be. Uh, like today, we had the words of the songs on there. But if you go under events... Uh, you'll see Charlotte's Hope Church pull it up there. There'll be scripture There'll be notes to follow or you can just do like what the rest of us did when we grew up in church And that is bring your Bible and follow along take notes uh, However, you do that because God's Word You know, it isn't amazing. God's Word was never limited before technology came into place Think about that as the church today. We're so hung up on what's got to look right feel right be right Reality is the Word of God is never returned void. God is so good to us and in romans we've been seeing what it is to live in the in the in the true beauty of god's grace romans chapter 12 we've been talking about what it is to be truly devoted living sacrifices to our god and so we want to open our our minds our hearts today this is kind of a part two from last week of what it is to walk with a renewed mind in in the expression of love to those around us so father help us today god Father, help us to help me get past the distractions, God, and help us to just, uh, Lord, come into that sweet spot with you this morning, God, where our hearts are open to your word, God, where your Holy Spirit just speaks over us, God, and we are changed forever, God, because it is you that has saved us. It is you that transforms us, God. It is you, God, that fills us with the Holy Spirit, and it is you, God, that works through us, God, expressing your love, God, to all those, God, around us. We give you thanks. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 12. Uh, we've been working our way through the book of Romans. If this is your first time with us, uh, uh, we've been working this incredible uh, letter that Paul wrote to this up-and-coming church in Rome at the time, the epicenter of civilization in that moment. And uh, in this letter, we see God's plan of grace worked out. We see the incredible thought and understanding that, that we are saved by grace through faith. It is not about us getting better. It's not about us doing better. It's not about us doing some great feat of faith or service. It is God doing everything and inviting us to receive the marvelous gift of grace that was bought for us on the cross by Jesus Christ. So in Romans 12, he begins to, he begins to take that understanding of grace and Paul says, now let me show you how to live in that grace. So look back at verse one, kind of sets the stage, not only for this chapter, but really for the rest of the book through chapter 16. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. So let's start right there. He's speaking to believers, all right? Now, if you're here today and you're seeking, you're not a believer, listen, you'll hear the truths coming into your life, but it takes a whole different meaning when you recognize now that God is your Father, you've been saved, and you're part of this body of Christ. So he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, it's only logical. For, for a believer to recognize what God did for us. It's only logical that we would serve him. It's only logical that we would let him work in us and through us, expressing his love to those around us. Why? Because he did everything for us. So he said it is your true and proper worship. So don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We, we looked a lot at that word transformed. It's, it's what God alone can do. You, you can't transform yourself. You can't do it. You can choose not to conform to the pattern of this world, but that's just setting the stage for God to do his work where he takes what is in us and he, and he brings it out through us. So in other words, what, what he's done for us begins to radiate from inside out. That love of Christ becomes evident 
as he transforms us by the renewing of our minds. Then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul sets the stage. He says, guys, look, everything you need is in Christ. That song we sang, and what a beautiful name it is. It, 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 it's just one more song lifting up the name of Jesus, but can I tell you, there is one name in all heaven and earth by which we are saved. It's the name of Jesus. There is one name where there is power for healing and deliverance. There's one name that literally someday, one day, I, I, I believe it's sooner than we think, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. He says this, this name he's given us, this work he's done in us, now begins to work through us so that outwardly we begin to reflect the goodness of God to those that are near us and those that are around us. And we do that by having a renewing of our minds. We, we begin to think differently about life. We begin to think differently about people. We can begin to think differently about church, about ourselves. We see ourselves in the light of God's grace. And we recognize something so critical that we are part of the body of Christ. And literally, we are needed, we are necessary in each other's lives. We're not whole as being just individual. We're not just sitting around going, well, I've got all I need, you go away, I don't need you. No, we, we recognize being part of the body of Christ is we have gifts that God has placed in us. And we are either contributing to the health or the sickness of the body of Christ, depending on whether we surrender those gifts and use them to bless others. We started talking about that a little bit last week. We talked about how love works through us. That love must be sincere. That, he, that we take seriously loving other people. That, that love must be committed. It's not just a, a niceness. We, we can be guilty so often in the church of just having a niceness, but niceness only goes so far. There's a lot of people that are nice, but they don't love anybody. You know, God says there's a commitment that says, I'm willing to stand with you. I'm willing to bear your burdens. I'm willing to, to, to serve you and to give of my life so that you would be better. But there's also this aspect of love that we just touched a little bit last week, and we're going to spend the majority of our time today on, and that is that according to Romans 12, our love also must be passionate. So look in verse 9 down through verse 11. He says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to, literally be glued to that which is good. Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. There's this understanding of the love God has for us that is passionate. There, there's an understanding of the love he wants to flow through us that is passionate. It is, it is zealous. It is not lacking in zeal or spiritual fervor because Jesus made it clear that the only witness we have in this earth the only witness we have as believers is not building buildings, is not, is not carrying a big Bible or bumper stickers. The only witness we have is by how we love each other. Check out the words of Jesus. John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Literally, Paul is telling the church, look, in this culture where, where Rome was all about might and, and, and conquering and, and really the devaluing of individuals, it was all about, about a few select that got it all. He said, in the midst of this, if you want them to see Jesus, you show them how to love each other. He says, a new command. It's different than the old covenant. It's not about bringing a sacrifice to the temple. It's not about doing good works. It's about truly learning to lay your life down, living sacrifice, 
so that others may know the goodness of our God. You see, literally, love is our calling card. And that, that love, he said, needs to be a, a passionate love, never lacking in zeal, but, but keeping spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Here's the truth of this statement. We never have an excuse, listen, we never have an excuse not to be passionate about loving other people. We never have an excuse. In, in view of God's mercies, he said uh, earlier, Present your body. So in view of God's mercies and all these done for us, he said we ought to be spiritually fervent in showing our love to each other. Now, when I use that word passionate, unfortunately, most of us think emotion. But that's not what he's talking about at all. I know some very emotional people that don't really love a whole lot. <laughs> Amen. And I, but I also know some very stoic people that know how to love really greatly. You see, zeal doesn't show up in our emotions. Zeal always shows up in our, our actions. It's what we do. It's how we do it. You see, the ultimate proof of zeal is shown in serving the Lord, not about how emotional we get. I, I grew up, and a lot of us have, in, in very emotional churches. I mean, if it wasn't high, high, and hot, hot, we didn't have church, right? If there wasn't snot and tears flowing everywhere, and people weren't jumping up and down, then Jesus wasn't there. And yet my Bible says where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of you. See, it's not about how high we get emotionally. It's about how active we get in loving and serving and lifting other people up. You see, we've got to be careful that we don't give ourselves a pass about being passionate. Oh, pastor, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. I'm, a, I'm just not that big of a people person. And, you know, this whole serving people, that makes me uncomfortable. Welcome to my world. I, I am a borderline introvert. I, I am always right down the middle. I force myself out. I don't gain energy out of this today. Trust me, I go home and fall down and go to bed after the service. People wear me out. But it's not an excuse to be passionate about serving and loving other people because of what God has done for us. You see, we can't give ourselves a pass and say, well, that's just not my personality. It's not how I'm wired. No, when we serve God with genuine love by genuinely loving others, can I tell you, God gets glorified. You see, too often, many people think their lack of passion is normal, but I'm here to tell you this morning it's not. It's not normal. Paul said literally that we are, we are boiling hot, that fervent thought there. We are boiling over to serve the Lord. That's why he wrote in the book of Colossians to the church at Colossus. He said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. It's working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Can I tell you, we can do everything as unto the Lord. You can commute as unto the Lord. You can come to church as unto the Lord or not. You can go and do your work as unto the Lord. You can be a parent, a husband, a spouse, a child as unto the Lord, or you can do it all for yourself, and in there there's no reward whatsoever. You see, Christian enthusiasm, Christian fervor should be the norm in the church. I always think it's ironic that we talk about somebody and we say, oh, oh, man, they are on fire for God. And we, we talk about that like it's an exception. Wow, there's one. It's like a purple unicorn. There's someone on fire for God. When it ought to be the norm. But it's not about emotion. That's how we judge it. But it's not about that. It's about serving one another. It's about that fervency that says, I'm going to be there for you. Early in the days of hope, we, we created this phrase that just kind of, kind of gave us that understanding. Because when you're, when you're starting and you're serving people and it's hard to see the fruit and you're going through the labor and all that and you're wondering what you're doing, we just had to stop and say, you know, every time, we proclaim Jesus. Here's what we're going to be. We're going to be all there for whoever's there. If one person needs to hear about Jesus, I'm going to be spiritually fervent to tell them about Jesus. If one person needs to be lifted up because they're hurting, I'm going to be spiritually fervent. I don't have to wait for a crowd to be fervent for my God. You see, never be lacking in zeal. 
We have so much to thank God for. We have so much to give praise to God for. But you know, here's, here's the check. Here, here's the check. If we are more fervent about our favorite team or our favorite hobby than we are about God, something's not been renewed in our minds. It just hasn't been. This is the season. This is like checkup season for a lot of people. This makes me football season, you know, right? If you are more into fantasy football than you are into a real Jesus, something's wrong with you when it comes to spiritual fervor. You see, we've got to cultivate this. We've got to let it reflect through us. There is renewed thinking, this renewed mind that God is talking about, that Paul is writing about, speaks to this understanding that we are to cultivate this fervor enthusiasm. I love this quote. It's uh, by, by a man that many maybe probably read his books on leadership, but a guy named John Maxwell. He says, one of the greatest things you can do is to get excited about your life and to start living enthusiastically day after day after day. Your whole world will improve. If you wait to get excited until some lucky outer event happens, guess what? If you wait, what does life do? It waits. And if you hold back until a more appropriate time to get excited, what does life do? It holds back. If you're going to hold back on enthusiasm, you better develop lots of patience because you're going to be waiting a long time for an exciting life. Isn't that true? Spiritual fervor. It's something that starts by the grace of god something that has that supernatural aspect to it but there's also an understanding that we are literally to stir up within us the gifts of god as paul talked to young timothy we're to we're to have that understanding that we are setting the stage we're creating the atmosphere where god can work in us and through us that's part of that not conforming to the world it's part about getting into the god's word it's 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 not about works proving your love for god but it's about getting in that mode where the holy spirit can work in you and through you to show other people how much god loves them You see, we need to recognize that this life that God wants us to lead, this adventure of faith, it it comes by us knowing the reality of Scripture in our life. It comes by us getting excited about opportunities to serve others. It comes from us by recognizing that that we get what we're zealous for. You know, I, I think about it this way. If I ever need serving, I hope I've served others. I really do. If I ever need comforting, I hope I've comforted others. If I ever need encouragement, I hope I've encouraged others. Because there is a reaping and a sowing that is very clear in the Word of God that that is not something to be a negative, but it's a very positive. That God says, you know what? As you have, so will I. You see, we recognize that when we start serving. We see zeal and service, again, it's not about getting emotional about it. Well, I've got to make myself zealous. Pastor says make myself zealous. I'm going to work it up. Today, I'm going to serve somebody. That's that's not what it's about. See, the, the, the joy we have is supernatural. The joy comes from the Lord. It is our strength. But our hearts and our minds, we've got to maintain. We've got to, we've got to keep them focused on God's word. And we've got to focus on God's will. That's why genuine love produces genuine zeal, not the other way around. It's not I'm zealous and I'm going to love. No, I love and that makes me zealous. Paul was tilling with this. It, it, it really reflects something. If you, if you ever read in the, in the book of Revelations, there's a section about uh, seven churches, Right? And in those churches, there, there's various things that God was dealing with. It was a very good word picture for us today to kind of see how we stand before God. But one of them was the church at Ephesus. And, and the church of Ephesus, when you read the book of Ephesians, you're like, my goodness, they got some of the, some of the best writings Paul ever wrote, right? But at the church of Ephesus, something had gone wrong. They were zealous, but they were zealous about the wrong things. Man, you did not mess up God's word. They, they would call you a heretic in a heartbeat. I mean, they, they knew the word. They were all about the word. They'd burn you up with the word. They, they, were, good. they were good with good works, man. They were out there working hard. They were doing what they could. But they, but they lost something. 
In Revelation, it says they lost their first love. They, they got it backwards. They were zealous without love. So much so that God said to them, look, you need to, you need to repent. In fact, he gave them three prescriptions. He said, you need to remember where you came from. That really is where zealous comes from, zeal comes from. When I think of what God has done for me, when I think about what I don't deserve, when I think about his goodness to me, oh, it pumps me up. He said, you need to remember how far you've fallen. You need to repent. Remember, repentance is not saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is saying, I, I've been going this way. Lord, I need your help because I've got to go that way. And, and God enables us then to go this way by his power and by his might. And then he says, you need to get back to doing. You need to get back to loving again. You need to get back to that understanding that fervency does not overcome love, but fervency is an outproduct or a, a, a byproduct of that love. So put into practice what God is teaching us. That's why Paul said in Romans 1.16 in the, in the opening of this great letter, he said, I am not ashamed. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then, then to the Gentile. Listen, gang, we are in the life-changing business, every single one of us. And not just because you have reverend by your name or a doctor or anything else. We are all called into the life-saving business. And Paul says we need to be zealous about that. He said we need to let it get in our hearts. He said, in fact, if it's not there, we need to repent about it. If it's not there, we need, to, we need to ask God to help us turn around and, and we need to get around people that can help us. We need to get around people that are zealous. And we need to kind of get away from those that are critical and lethargic that aren't doing anything and say, you know what, if I'm hanging out here, I'm never going to get there. It's choices. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't become so used to it. Oh, that's the way everybody is. He said, don't become so used to it, you don't even think about it. He said, then the world will drag you down to its own level of immaturity. And that level of immaturity says, I don't have to love you. And I don't have to show that wrong. He says, be fervent, be spiritual. So how do you do that? How, how, do, how do we do that in the middle of the mess of life? How do, you, how do you show this fervent, passionate love when some days it feels like you're doing good to get out of bed or, or your kids are driving your nuts or, or a job change or you're moving? And all? How do you work that out? Well, Romans 12 really nails it in verse 12. He says this, he says, so be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. It's an incredible prescription that he speaks to us he says there's a hope we have that should drive us to joy no matter what life circumstances are and it's a hope we have to hang on to a hope we have to fight for and that hope is not found here it's not it's not this it's not flesh it's not on the earth it is our hope of heaven and i, and I know that so often we're like oh well that's you know that's nice talk heaven talk that's great but can i tell you you've not lived long enough if at some point you don't realize god there's got to be heaven and my hope is there, God. Because if this is all there is, if this is the kingdom, if this is all there's, God, I'm disappointed because this life's a mess. But Paul said to be joyful in hope. Keep our eyes fixed on that which is above. Keep our eyes on the eternal because life throws at us some things that, that cause affliction and cause pain. And because of that, he says we've got we to fix our eyes on Jesus and, and, and get an understanding of the eternal so that we are joyful in the expectation of what God has for us. Because only when we have that expectation are we able to be patient. In affliction that that word affliction it, it, it's speaking about holding up it's he said be patient in that it, it, it's it's bearing the weight of tribulation bearing the weight in fact the word picture that paul was using there in the greek language was was they literally had these weights that would crush the corn right to to drive it down to make it in the meal and he and he said that he said literally if we are patient in affliction then we are bearing up under the weights how many know that life does get heavy sometimes Sometimes that weight can seem overbearing, can't it? 
Paul said that he got to be patient in that moment. You see, the word picture, again, is what we experience. Some, some of what we experience is allowed by God. There's, there's no question in order for us to grow, but some of it is just part of living in a broken, sin-cursed world. But Jesus said, he said, look, in this world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have what? I've overcome the world. You see, the difference for the Christian facing tribulation than the one with no faith is this. As a Christian, we never go through it alone. Because God said, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You see, he said this is an understanding that in the middle of the, of the life's mess, in the middle of the reality of real life, if we are to be fervent in loving others, we need to be joyful in our hope, we need to learn to be patient in our affliction and don't let our circumstance keep us from being what God created us to be. So let me help you with that. I've, I've done some series on this, but I'm just real, real quick some points here. Number one, when it comes to tribulation or affliction, don't be surprised by it. Oh my goodness, I can't believe this happened to me. Where's God? God is a good God. What, what, what? All through scriptures, it's been very clear that we should not be surprised. Peter said, don't be, don't be overcome by it. We have to accept that in this world, there are things that we can't explain, things we have to walk through, things that we don't want to walk through. But in the midst of it, we find that God is walking with us. So he said, first of all, don't be, don't be surprised by affliction. The second is remember it happened to Jesus. The affliction he took upon himself, we can't even imagine. We read about it and we kind of gloss over it and make it look good for Easter. But the reality is he walked through things we've never even considered. And that's why the word tells us, the Hebrew writer, that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Because he alone bore our sins. He alone went to the cross and he alone offers us hope because of what he walked through with us. The third thing about affliction is this. You need to let it teach you about yourself and about God's faithfulness. You know, pressure has a way of doing that, doesn't it? It's like the foundation of a house. Pressure has a way of exposing its weaknesses. It shows all the cracks. But can I tell you, pressure, if put into God's hands, the pressure of affliction also destroys something in us that has to be destroyed if we're ever going to reflect God perfectly. And that is that, that false self that we walk around with. You really don't know who you are until you've been pressured. You really don't know how God made you and the strength of God in you until you've been hit with, this, with that tribulation. So often we go through life and we never get past the false self of I'm all about my role, my title, and my personal image. But so much of that's been created by my own mind and my attachments in the first place. But when life lets you hit the wall and God is there with you, you find out the real you. And all of a sudden, it's pretty amazing. You find out the real you that God made. In his image and he said it was good you find out the real you that doesn't have to be false and pretentious and cover up with a facade and you begin to walk out the love of god not caring if other people think you're doing it well or not you're just loving because god has loved you you see it's only through necessary suffering sometimes we find our true identity and experience the true reality of god's presence a good friend of mine this week lost his daughter 27 years old pastors of church in winston-salem serve on the board for the my denomination with him We've been praying for years. She's been fighting cancer. She's finally lost the battle. And you know, in that moment, here we are. We're eloquent. We, we live by our words as pastors. And I'm like, so I just texted him. I said, hey, I'm sure your phone is blowing up, but can I tell you, my prayers speak more boldly than the, than the meekness of my words. I don't know what to say other than I love you. And he wrote back something that was so strong. I mean, he immediately wrote back. He said, Mike, he said, grief is crushing. But hope is sustaining. 
And I started to write back, and I didn't. I said, this is not a conversation. It's, it's, just, it's just texting. But I started to write back. Isn't it a shame you'll never know that unless you experience it? And so much of God's promises we don't experience because we spend our whole lives trying our best to avoid pain. We spend our whole lives doing our best to avoid trouble. Man, if we can be squeaky clean, bubble-wrapped, and make it to heaven, praise God. My bubble-wrapped got burst a long time ago. And you know what? I'm thankful. Because I don't know that I really love people until my my bubble-wrapped got burst. I, I really don't. Guys, it's so easy to be caught up in our own world, our own setting, our own thing, that, that we really just see people as ancillary and not being purposeful toward loving them. That's why we've got to trust the work of God in us, even when life gets more real than we want it to get real. So we have to let God teach us, and we have to, the fourth thing is, let it develop an empathy in us for others who are going through trials. To be, be, be caring, to be sympathetic, to be walking alongside and going, I don't have to have the words, but I can sit here and weep for those that weep. And I can hug, and I can be there, and I can, I can pray, and I can do anything I can to bring comfort, but only God is the comforter. You see, the more you walk in the world, the more you look toward heaven. So he says, so be, be joyful in your hope, be, be patient in your tribulation, but there's a third piece that's just as critical. He said, and that is to be constant in prayer, to be, to be literally in a mode of prayer. Prayer is not a time, just like joy is not a destination. Joy is a condition. I'll be joyful if I ever get there. No, that's not right. No, I, I can be joyful in the midst of the world blowing up if I'm, if I'm letting God do his work in me. But prayer is not a time. Prayer is an active conversation. Well, I had my prayer time today. Oh, good for you. So what does that mean? God, see you later. We'll talk someday. Coffee next week, maybe. No, he says that literally we are to be constant in our prayer. Well, how do you do that? You can't drive down the road on your knees. You can't, you can't close your eyes. I had a you pastor who used to drive and he'd be praying. He'd close his eyes while he was driving. I'm like, you're nuts. You may be spiritual, but you're going to kill us, man. Stop it. No, he says if we are to be praying always, we are in this middle of this conversation and even in the midst of our storms, knowing that God is with us, even if the storm doesn't cease. That's why Jesus said in Luke 18, he told the parable and showed them. He said, look, you should always pray and not give up. That's why Paul could say in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Pray continually. All day long, you're going to that meeting, God give me wisdom. All day long, you're about to sit down at the dinner table and you really don't want to know what happened in everybody's life that day, but you're going to ask anyway. And you're like, God, give me grace. Give me patience. You know, whatever your circumstance, all day long, you're just having that conversation with God. You're going down the road. You're praying for cars passing. You're praying for people around you. It's just keeping this conversation with our Father because, again, He's not in heaven waiting to hear from you. He's with you. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What better place to be when life gets hard than to be talking to our Father in us. So we pray. We love God genuinely. We love God passionately. And we pray continually. And when we do those things, now the rest of this chapter lays out. And be careful as you read this chapter because there's so many directives Paul gives us. After a while, it can kind of sound like your mama telling you what to do. And you can just shut it out because there's so many things, almost rapid fire he brings to us that you just have to stop. And go, Lord, let me take that chunk and let me just meditate on that. Let me see how that affects me because it is so rich in how we live out this life. Look at verse 13. He said, we are to share with the Lord's people who are in need. We're to practice hospitality. You know, it really is an active thought there. Well, pastor, if you tell us somebody that's needy, then we'll take care of that. No, that's not what he's talking about. 
He's literally saying our active mindset, our renewed mindset is we're looking for opportunity. We're looking all around us. We're not waiting for the church to say, hey, we have a need. We are looking to meet that need. So we are looking out, and we, as we are able, we step in and we practice hospitality. We, we, we practice meeting needs. It's, it's opening your house and saying, you know what, I want some other people to come over and, and share life with me. It's, it's joining a group. You say, well, I don't like groups. Join one anyway, because there you will actually find how the iron sharpens iron. It doesn't happen as we sit here in the chairs. It's about pursuing relationships. You know, if we don't, then otherwise, how can we practice hospitality if we don't have any new relationships in our lives? I always thought it was cool that the Bible says that you never know when you entertain a stranger, you might be entertaining an angel. That'd be kind of freaky, wouldn't it? Get to heaven, this angel goes, hey, thanks for the coffee. Really? That'd be, that'd be awesome. I don't know about y'all. You know, it just kind of has that mindset, right? Because again, if we don't have that pursuit, we don't practice it, we'll never do it. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 25, he says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, all through this, Paul's mirroring. He's mirroring the teachings of Christ. He's mirroring the understanding. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? What was that about? It was about one question. Who's my neighbor? And he said very carefully, whoever's in need, that's your neighbor. But how will I know if we're not looking? How will I know if I'm not engaging? How will I know that what people need or are if I walk around everywhere with my headphones in all the time? We, we don't communicate anymore. I mean, you go to the gym, everybody's got their headphones on. You think they're talking? No, they're talking to somebody on the phone. We, we, we're totally blocking people out. Why? Because we don't want to engage. Because if I engage, you may hurt me. If I engage, I might have to love you. If I, if I engage, you, you, you may uh, upset my schedule. I may have to change some things. How, how do we engage if all we do is we come home and shut the garage door for anybody can see us and we never go out or we don't interact unless it's necessary? Look, guys, if we meet the needs of others, listen carefully, if you learn to meet the needs of others, you will never be forgotten on this earth. But more importantly, you'll never be forgotten in heaven. If you learn to meet the needs of others. But you can't do that unless you engage. So our love must be passionate. It must be sincere. It must be genuine. But it also, this is what's cool about God, God's love in us, it also has to seek harmony. And that's verse 14. Genuine love seeks harmony. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Can I just remind us real quick, this is written to Christians. This is not written to the world. This is written to the church. Listen, guys, they deal with relationships in the body of Christ. As a pastor, it didn't take me very long in the ministry to learn that sheep will bite sometimes. And pastors will beat the sheep sometimes. Because we are human. And I find a false sense in the church that's got to change. We need to learn to give grace to each other. Well, I thought they were a Christian. Well, man, he was a pastor. I can't believe he said that. Look, as much as we need grace, we need to learn to give grace. He says, bless them that persecute you bless and do not curse now you shouldn't be persecuting somebody in the church what he's saying if you are being persecuted learn to bless them what does bless mean speak well of them I say pastor there's nothing to speak well of them about say they've got nice hair i don't know make something up but you got to learn to speak blessing otherwise you're just going to curse but in the church we need to learn to show grace and then stop expecting perfection from others because of how we see them <laughs> In the middle of this project, I, 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 I enjoy construction. I really do. And I was sitting out in the foyer last week, and the guys are working on the air conditioning and all this stuff, which, by the way, you're not freezing right now, are you? Because the air is blowing this way, not that way. 
Ah, pretty good. And I'm out there, and the gentleman's working up here, and he dropped something. I mean, he dropped it. And man, he let it out. He just, blah, you know. And he looks at me and he goes, oh. <laughs> and I said, do you think I'm not a guy? You think I've never possibly even thought or definitely maybe even said that? Come on. It's okay, dude. We're all right. He goes, you're all right, pastor. Well, why don't you come to church? We'll talk more. But, <laughs> you know, it's just this understanding. We have this culture. Well, they're Christians. They shouldn't be that way. Look, guys, number one, don't give them ammo. Don't live like a jerk. But number two, among ourselves, this is the incubator. This is where we work it out. And there are people that are going to irritate you to death. But you've got to learn. Bless, don't curse. Engage, give grace. Don't hold people up to unfulfilling expectations. Don't curse them. You know, even in this, you know, we can get all biblical in our cursing. You know, it's, we, we, we bless, we talk good. When he says don't curse, be careful. We don't start using the Bible to kind of sneakily curse. Well, you know, honestly, I hope they reap what they sow. Well, I'm glad you feel good about that. Because what you're saying is you hope they get destroyed. Well, you know, what goes around comes around. That's not in the Bible, by the way. But it is, we use it, and, and we, we use these things. And what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up for the root of bitterness to form in us. If we don't love people through their mess and love people through their difficulties, we set ourselves up for the root of bitterness. Jesus said in Luke's gospel, Luke 6, said, but, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. It's all part of showing hospitality. But it goes a little further, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those that mourn. You know what I've discovered over the years? We're really good at the second part of that verse. We can mourn well with those that mourn. But we stink at rejoicing with those that rejoice. Oh, you're getting a new house. Awesome. Help me get that big house. Oh, you got a promotion. Good for you. Man, I'm more talented than he is. What's up? We're bad at rejoicing with those that rejoice. And it's a part of our culture. We've got to learn to be happy when someone else gets blessed. Because love is not jealous, love is not critical, love, love is not so self-focused that, that all we can do is mourn because we feel better that their mornings, so we're going to mourn with them because they're going through a hard time. Versus, man, I'm so glad God is blessing you. I'm so glad God is enriching you. I celebrate with you. That is so good. You ought to go with me to a pastor's gathering sometime. Those are a lot of fun. You know, we, we, we're so identified by our churches. So, how's your church? Well, it's pretty good. How many people you got? My answer is always not enough. It's very simple. But others are like, oh, well, I've got two. Oh, I got three. Oh, I got a thousand. Who cares? Are you faithful to what God has called you to do? Can I celebrate your new building? Can I celebrate whatever's going on? Why? Because we are to rejoice with those that rejoice. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Man, this sounds like my mama speaking. Well, what, what he's saying is this. Look, be of the same mind one toward another. Love people for who they are, not for what they have. See, there was a real problem in the early church. It was the, the rich sat over here, the poor over there. And they didn't mingle. He says, look, you've got to see everybody as a created in the image of God person. No matter what their status, color, background, it does not matter. You've got to love people because God made them. God loves them. And God is wanting to re reconcile all of us to him. And in, in a time in our, in our own country where we're, we're having such 
big conversations right now or should be about about race and immigration all that listen guys we gotta love people bottom line period boom doesn't matter what your social media says are you actively loving people that's what this speaks of are you fearful of them do you try to keep people away from you do you try to isolate yourself or do you stand in the middle and saying god is my rock he's my foundation i stand without fear and i want to reach out and love people no matter where i am because i trust god to work in me and work through me you see love can learn from anyone love can learn from any situation that's why again in verse 17 he says don't repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone look here, here's the reality again in relationships there are times when even christians knowingly hurt each other and he's saying look you just got to deal with it because if you can't deal with it in the body of christ you'll never deal with it out there and if you don't learn how to deal with a hurt a self-inflicted wound in the body of christ you're never going to learn how to deal with the hurt out there and you're going to go cocoon yourself somewhere and you're never going to reach anybody because this passionate love's not going to shine through you that's why peter said in first peter 3 9 don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult on the contrary repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing there's actually this blessing that comes out from god to us when we learn to let go of hurts and to bless other people here's his truth every time you rehearse a past hurt every time you nurse it and some of us are good at it you will only make it go deeper in you as a root of bitterness that will spring up according to god's word and defile many how many know that's the opposite of love so love's just not saying i love you love is actually guarding my heart so i don't let any root of bitterness get in there so that i can be genuine toward you not fake and actually serve you and not just always look for you to serve me this is good teaching pastor mike i'm sorry paul's a pretty good writer we'll give him benefit here look first thessalonians 5 15 says make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else that's why verse 17 says be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone what he's saying is premeditate good works premeditate good words to come thinking how can i bless somebody be looking around how can i engage how can i reconcile that's why verse 18 which is so critical to this and we're going to wrap it up with this last section and he says this if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with whom ah now there's an escape hatch in that verse you see right if it is possible as much as it depends on them be nice to people no no that's not what it says if it is possible as much as it depends on you live at peace with everyone can you live at peace with everyone you sure try see what god's looking at the heart you can't sit back and say i'll be peaceful with them if they're peaceful to me i'll forgive them if they repent i'll let that go if they start acting better no he said look as far as it depends on you you live at peace with everyone i, I break it down this way never be the source of division if someone else is divisive pray for them learn to love them try to be at peace with them never be the source of envy or gossip or anger or cursing or slander live peaceably with everyone as far as it depends upon you you say well how far do i have to go jesus answered that really interesting didn't he he was asked one time how many times do i have to forgive seven times and he gave this ridiculous number uh, 70 times seven but it wasn't like okay but i get there i can stop forgiving no he was just saying you've got to always forgive 
he told the story hey if you if someone compels you to go a mile go too you know it's there's never an end of letting passionate genuine sincere hospitable love flow through us because in the end here's what love does and we're going to wrap this up genuine love overcomes evil verse 19 do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for god's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge and i will repay says the lord now now stop right there if that makes you feel good about god's wrath coming upon somebody then your heart's not right either okay so that's not what it's saying oh god's gonna get them oh praise god we're good no that's not what he's saying he's just saying look leave wrath to him He's, he's pretty good at it he said on the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink in other words be nice whatever their need is you, you meet that he said in doing this you will heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good now if we're honest here we don't understand the whole heat burning coals on his head thing i've read so many books that have tried to make this into a good thing oh well you know in certain cultures they move fire around in bowls so you're going to put coal in his bowl and set it on his head and i'm going if the bowl is metal that's just gonna make my head very hot if the bowl is made of straw i'm gonna burn up it makes no sense whatsoever that's not what it's talking about at all it's talking about a, a horrific act that was common in egypt at the time where if a king offended another king part of his repentance was to come and bow before that king they literally would put a bowl on his head put coals in it and go it's gonna hurt while you're repenting buddy because we're gonna make an example out of you you don't dishonor the king so what he's saying is this our intention is not i'm going to do good so i can hurt you it's saying i'm going to do so good that you know what you just might be convicted to a point you may even be willing to let god change you and work in you because i'm gonna do everything in my power to love you i'm not gonna i'm not gonna overcome you with evil i'm gonna overcome you with good it's a radical way of thinking but it really isn't that radical to us as believers because who did it best our savior jesus in verse peter 2 he says to this you recall because christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps he committed no sin for no deceit was found in his mouth when they hurled insults at him he did not retaliate when he suffered he made no threats instead he entrusted himself to him who judges justly i'm always blown away by the things that jesus said on the cross but the greatest one was this and that was the very people who beat him the very people who had ripped the skin off his back, sold his clothes, cursed, spit on him, all that stuff. And his words were simply this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and we, we get into scriptures like this and we say, you know, that is just too outrageous. That's, that's just too beyond us. But can I tell you, salvation is equally outrageous and beyond and if we believe that God can literally save our sins, not by any act of justice we have done, not by any good work, not by any well-meaning thought, but only by His act, how can we not believe that He can work in us and through us in a way that is counter to the ways of the world? That says, you know what? Curse me, I'm going to bless you. Persecute me, I'm going to lift you up. As far as it depends on me, I'm going to live at peace with you. And He says the only way we'll ever do that is if we learn to do it here within the body of Christ.